Welcome to Lorica, the podcast of Father Patrick Cardine, pastor of St. Patrick's Orthodox Church in Bealton, Virginia. St. Patrick's is a parish in the Antiochian Orthodox Christian Archdiocese of North America, serving the Western Rite. Father Patrick is also the administrator of the Orthodox West. I had quite a few people tell me how impactful it was for them to be at the services this past Easter week or Bright Week. Uh, Someone in particular said that last year uh, they were so exhausted after Holy Week that they didn't come to anything, but this year they decided that they were going to make the effort and they were going to come and they told me they said there was nowhere else they would rather be than at church celebrating their Paschal joy. That despite their tiredness and exhaustion, it was a great uplifting time for them this week to fully enter into the joy of Pascha. Every year, we go through a cycle, liturgical cycle, and uh, the temporal cycle that we call uh, revolves around the life of Christ. And there are two kind of poles, two hinge points there, Christmas and Easter, his birth and then his death and resurrection. And every year, over the years, I feel personally like I'm delving deeper and deeper into the mysteries of Christ's life, that I'm encountering, you know, new understandings and a deeper interaction and connection with his life as we go through the liturgical year and cycle and prayers and services. And this year has been no different for me. But the contrast one experiences in Easter week, I think, for me, is particularly special. It hit me very strongly on Monday morning at Lodz, this past Monday. I came home and told uh, the woman that Lauds on Monday and Bright Week was my favorite service of the year. She said, you say this is your favorite service of the year, you say that's your favorite, I know, I know. But this week, Lauds on Monday morning and Bright Week was my favorite service of the year. It, and I remember thinking that last year too. It, it really just hit me in such a powerful way and I'm gonna tell you why momentarily. As I think back after, over this, over the years, Bright Week has always had some special impact. You know, think about it. I mean, there is, there is a spiritual, sacramental element to this, of course, which is the most important. But there is just also just the uh, sort of human, emotional, psychological impact that we experience. I mean, we've just been through, if you count Shrovetide or Septuagesimatide, we've just been through nine long weeks of preparation and penitence. And we get to Holy Saturday, and all of a sudden, a, 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 a switch is just flipped, just like that. It's just flipped. And everything changes after all these weeks. You know, we had just come out on Holy Saturday. 
We're just coming out of this desert wasteland of focusing on sin and rebellion among mankind, of judgment and devastation. We've been fasting in the wilderness. We buried the Alleluia, sadly. We wept in our confessions. We sung our dirges. We shut down the organ and stripped the altar and emptied the tabernacle of the presence of God. And then we snuffed out the light. We read these long passages from the Old Testament enumerating the sins and the corruption and the ugliness of mankind, especially of God's own chosen people who had rejected Him. We made it to Holy Week and dove deeply into the passion and suffering of Christ, His darkest hour, the darkest hour to come upon the earth, the very unleashing of hell upon the earth, the betrayal of his very close friends, the plots to murder him, this hatred for the very lover of our souls, utter rejection of all that is good and true and beautiful, scorn and blasphemy. We hear him say, I am a worm and no man. My people, what have I done unto thee? We see his bloody brow in trauma and anguish in the garden, crying out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me on the cross? And on and on we delve into the suffering and the passion of the Savior. And we go deeper and deeper into the abyss with him. The Passion Gospels, I think, are particularly powerful. Especially, by the way, I'll give you a little hint, trick, about how you can enter more deeply. If you read all of these things at home, and meditate just a little bit on them, this will deepen your experience when you come to church immeasurably. But the gospel passion narratives are particularly powerful, taking us into the passion of Christ. And then the reproaches and the revealing of the holy rood, the cross. The tenebrae services, for those who are stout enough to make it through them, are filled with the sorrowful lamentations. They sit like a crushing but tender weight upon our souls as we wait in the darkness with hope for the light of day. And then finally, finally, after all of this, Holy Saturday comes, the day we've been waiting for. And we know there are flowers hidden under those, you know, bloody tarps up there. We know they're there. And we're just waiting for the reveal. And the mood on Holy Saturday, it begins to shift. I said it's like a switch. It's a little bit of a slow and quick switch, depending on how you want to look at it. But it begins to shift with the new fire outside. And then we come into the darkness that we've been living in the past weeks. And candle by candle, flicker by flicker, flame by flame, the room begins to enlighten. And our hopes begin to enlighten. And our hearts begin to soar. And finally, you know, the switch is completely flipped in the glory and the lights come on and the veils come off. And all is in bloom. And the Alleluia is reborn. The Alleluia comes back with great vengeance in Pascha, as we heard this morning. We can't say it enough. Alleluia, Alleluia, Alleluia. Alleluia, 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 one Antivan says. Alleluia, Alleluia, Alleluia. If you were here in Lodge, you know what I was talking about. 
If you weren't, you missed it. At any rate, the Alleluia is reborn. Christ comes bursting forth from the tomb. And there is tremendous joy. And we have a great feast. Then we get some sleep. We come back Sunday morning because we just didn't have enough. You know, we had to come back to give fuller expression to our joy. It's one of the secrets for those that come to all of this and then they come back Sunday morning. It's one of the secrets you've learned is that it's, it's just even better Sunday morning. And I'm very happy, actually, that I think our community has could have got this because we're, we're packed on Sunday morning. Actually, we're fuller on Sunday morning than we are on Saturday night. When we learn how to embrace all of this with a sincere and attentive heart, when we learn how important it is to show up and to show up, it changes you. It changes you. It really works on you. Year after year, and it gets better and better and better. To place oneself in the presence of God in all of this, in this prayer and this holy sacrament. But Monday. Monday about lauds. What about that? Because that's what I started with. Well, I don't know. It's difficult for me to tell you how much the gentle joy I get from coming to church early Monday morning, after all of that, seeing our friends unveiled, taking in the sweet fragrance of the flowers which fill the room. I don't even mind, you know, breathing in all the pollen up here at the altar. Even that's good. So be it. But you know, I especially love seeing our crucified Lord on the cross surrounded by the flowers and the fragrance. I have a hard time getting through the services all this past week. I I try and hide it from you, but I'm like choking back the tears constantly this whole week. The fragrance and the sweetness and our crucified Lord all together, it all just, it's all there. It makes so much sense. I realize on Monday morning at Lauds, it wasn't a dream. It's real. It wasn't a dream. There's not usually very many people here. Me and a couple others. But it doesn't matter. I know it wasn't a dream. Everything that happened. It's all real. He suffered. He died. He's risen from the dead. And he's turned our mourning into joy. He's transformed this ugly, brutal instrument of torture into something so beautiful and victorious. And then we begin to say the Psalms. Psalms I've said maybe thousands of times. I don't know how many times. Many, many, many times. And something wonderful happens. The same Psalms we've said so many times, year after year, are all of a sudden completely new. They come alive and they're filled with a power and grace. In the wake of the suffering and death and hell, these prayers are all of a sudden imbued with such a glorious joy and victory during this week, but especially on Monday, (laughs) even more than on Tuesday, especially on Monday, but on Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday. You know, this week, this week and others, but I have been faced with perhaps the most difficult, sad, 
gut-wrenching pastoral challenge I have ever faced in 30 years. Of all weeks, something to dampen our joy. Couldn't it be another week? No. <laughs> no. If, if I had to go through something like this, or if you had to go so through something like this, there's no better week than this week. When our joy is strongest and most sure. Because I know this week, Christ is risen. I know this week, our enemies have been destroyed. There is nothing to fear. And there is nothing that Christ cannot overcome or bring back to life. Our first psalm that I said on Monday morning, the Lord is king. You know, these are psalms from Sunday, and because it's Sunday, it's the day of the resurrection. So the Lauds and Vesper psalms are, you know, particularly oriented towards the resurrection. And these are the psalms we say every day during Bright Week for Lauds and Vespers. The Lord is king and hath put on glorious apparel. That glorious apparel is his immortal body, his majesty. He hath put on his apparel and girded himself with strength because he still has to sort of do the mopping up operation to his victory. We're still in a bit of a fight, even though we've won. He's seated at the right hand of the Father until his enemies be made his footstool. He hath made the round world so sure that it cannot be moved. We do not have anything to fear or worried about. His victory and our victory is assured. Ever since the world began hath thy seat been prepared. God knew that he would become man and ascend into the heavens as man, as glorified man from the beginning. Thou art from everlasting. Even though the floods are risen and the floods have lift up their voice and the floods lift up their waves, we still have battles to fight. We still have an enemy of our soul. The waves of the sea, they're mighty, they rage horribly, but yet the Lord who dwelleth on high is mightier. These are the Psalms, and they never sound like they do on bright Monday, after we've just come through all that and seen him victorious. The second Psalm, Oh, be joyful in the Lord, all ye lands, and serve the Lord with gladness, and come before his presence with a song. And at Vespers on the same day, the Lord said unto my Lord, the most quoted psalm in the New Testament, Sit thou on my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. The Lord shall send the rod of thy power out of Zion. Be thou ruler even in the midst among thine enemies. These psalms, these prayers, never mean as much as they do this week. They remind us, while we're in the grace of our paschal joy, which is a special grace, it's in all the prayers. Our prayers say that we're in a, this is a special, there's a special outpouring of grace of the Holy Spirit this week for us to take advantage of. This is when, you know, we, you pull up to the station, the charging station, and you get plugged in this week, and you get enough juice to last all year. That's what this week's about. And adult, okay, I should stop and say this right now. I don't want to discourage anybody. If you remember St. John Chrysostom's sermon that, that we read, and he said, if you come at the 11th hour, you know, don't be discouraged. Just, you know, jump in. All right. If you maybe felt like maybe I didn't quite take complete advantage, it's not over. Uh, you know, we still have time. So 
we're, we're moving into, you know, the Paschal Tide goes on for 50 days. So jump in now. You know, God's not holding anything against you. Jump in. And we've got the Ascension and we've got Pentecost. At any rate, the Holy Spirit is present to fill us with this Paschal joy. And if you listen to the prayers, you'll see the church specifically references this sort of season of our Paschal joy that strengthens us and fills us for the fight ahead because the joy of the Lord is our strength in this world. So let's take advantage of it. I wish this morning I had time to recount to you all the prayers of this week, all the colics and the propers and the epistle lessons which have been amazing and the gospel lessons of the women at the tomb and the the, the disciples on the road to Emmaus where Christ is walking with them. These beautiful, delightful, cheery stories. Even while they didn't believe. I mean, they were slow to believe, okay? I mean, they're even standing on the mount right before he ascends and it says some of them didn't believe. So they were slow of heart and slow to believe, but it's okay because they're going to receive the Holy Spirit and everything's going to be okay. And they're going to end well. He, he, he opened up the scriptures, all the Old Testament, the Law and the Prophets on the road to Emmaus. Christ himself interpreted these for those disciples. So when we read the New Testament and we see the uh, writers of the New Testament uh, drawing out Christological inferences from the Old Testament and we're like, where did they get that from? That's weird. I don't see the link. Oh yeah, they're playing fast and loose with that scripture. Who, where do you think they got these from? They got these from Jesus in the 40 days after his resurrection when he was meeting with them. He gave them the interpretation of these passages. Jesus did. The one who wrote them. The one whom they are about. He gave them the interpretation. There's all kinds of nuggets like that in there. If we pay attention. That bring us joy. In these appearances. Every prayer, every passage just exudes a sweet fragrance for us to bathe ourselves in all week. There are a few prayers of sort of admonition. There are a few prayers in there sprinkled in that are important of admonition. And what they do is they basically tell us um, that we must cling to this new joy because it can be fleeting. So we need to pay attention to that too. We need to guard it and hang on to it. Because we're still in a corrupt body and in a corrupt world. And if we don't, it can slip away from us. And there are prayers there that remind us of that. On the day of Christ's resurrection, in the evening, Jesus came to them as they were hiding for fear of the Jews. And he passed through the locked doors. And he said to them, peace be to you. And he showed them his hands and he showed them the hole in his side. And they were glad. And he breathed on them and gave them the Holy Spirit. But the gospel tells us Thomas was not with them when Jesus came. Who knows where Thomas was? Who knows why he wasn't there? But he was not there. Thomas was not there. And Thomas later said, and let's not sugarcoat it, shamefully, shamefully, Thomas said, unless I see 
the nails, unless I put my hand, thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. And then he had to wait a week to resolve his doubt. Now, we know the end of the story. The Lord has been very gracious to Thomas, and St. Thomas died, a great, great saint and martyr, someone that we venerate and revere and hope to emulate. But not first without getting rebuked from Christ for our sakes. Be not faithless, Thomas, but believing. Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they who have not seen and yet have believed. I'll conclude with the first line from our epistle lesson from a beautiful reading from St. John's epistle. He says, Dearly beloved, whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Christ is risen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You have been listening to Father Patrick Cardine, pastor of St. Patrick's Orthodox Church in Bealton, Virginia. This has been a production of the Orthodox West.